This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. أعوذ بالله السميع من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعدوان إلا على الظالمين والعاقبة للمتقين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا. Welcome to Late Night Reflections. I'm your host Omar Suleiman. This is my guest Sheikhna Sheikh Yasser Bujas. Alhamdulillah. I always wanted to do that. He never let me host. I took over the host. That's right. Yeah. There's someone that's going to be sitting next to me, inshallah, at some point here. I hope, inshallah. Then we'll kind of balance out the. There's so much greatness on this side. We need we need two two of us to be able to match the greatness on that side. But um, we'll be back on the floor uh, when it's two when it's just the two of us. We'll sit on the floor. When we have a guest, inshallah ta'ala, we'll sit on the, on the couches. Uh, inshallah ta'ala, Sheikh Abdul Nasser Jengda will be joining us uh, shortly, inshallah ta'ala. But we're going to get started without him just to stay on time, inshallah ta'ala. And speaking of time, uh, we are in the chapter on the value of time. Bismillah, uh, he says that it's important for every person to know the value and the nobility of their time. And so in that case, they do not lose out on a single moment in which they could be coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and prioritizing what should be prioritized in regards to both word and deed, what they should be saying and doing, and prioritizing as such, recognizing the value of time. So meeting that time with the deeds that require priority. He says, so let the niyyah of the believer, let the intention of a person always be to do good, even when they do not have the ability, when something gets in the way, let the niyyah always be there for a person to do good, even if they don't actually have the capability to eventually meet that intention and to perform what it is that they intend to perform. And he says, as the hadith says, and I believe the hadith is, is weak in terms of sanad, but again, it's, it's a hadith of, of uh, it's a narration that, re- that relates to the virtues and establishes a meaning that we know. Niyatul mu'mini khayru min amalihi that sometimes the intention of the believer is even more precious than his deed. He says, and some of the pious predecessors were known with regards to their time, just how guarded they were with their time. Amr ibn Abdi Qais is one of the tabi'een. It's been narrated, that someone came up to him one day and said, let's talk, let's have a conversation. He told him, hold the sun, which means what? He says, if you can stop the sun from moving, then I'll stop and have a conversation, but I really need to finish what I'm doing right now. Uh, we'll go into detail with that, because one time, Sheikh Yasser, I think he told me that too, right? <laughs> uh, sorry. Maybe. Maybe one time. But, the, but he told him that I need to finish what I'm doing, so he said, if you can stop the sun, then we can engage in sort of this, this open conversation. وَقَالَ ibn Thabit al-Bunani rahimahullah, also one of the tabi'een, Thabit al-Bunani, a very famous tabi'i, his son said... He was a student of Anas radiallahu So Thabit al-Bunani radiallahu ta'ala anhu rahimahullah, a student of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, one of the ulama of the tabi'een. So his son is speaking now. He said, I went to my father when he was on his deathbed to do talqeen. So that's when someone is passing away and you go to remind them to say what? 
La ilaha illallah, right? So he said that my father responded to me on his deathbed, qala ya bunayya da'ni fa'inni fi wirdi sadis He said, oh my son, leave me because I'm in the sixth portion of my wird. The wird, of course, is the daily regimen of dhikr. So he's basically telling him, I'm already proceeding through my wird of dhikr, so don't bother me and interrupt right now. I'm already in the midst of my remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَدَخَلُوا عَلَى بَعْضِ السَّلَفِ عِنْدَ مَوْتِهِ وَهُوَ يَصَلِّ فَقِيلَ لَهُ فَقَالَ الْآنَ تُطْوَى صَحِيفَتِي He says, and one of the pious predecessors, when he was passing away, the people entered upon him, and they found him exerting himself in prayer. So they told him about that, right? That, you know, don't push yourself so hard in these last moments of your life. Why are you pushing yourself so hard? And he said, that right now, my book of deeds is about to be closed. These are the last moments that I have to write into my book of deeds. So if a person knows that even if they are amongst those who push themselves in general when it comes to righteousness, that death is going to come and cut off their lifespan in which they can put forth good deeds. Then he does in his lifetime what will continue to benefit him after he passes away. He prioritizes the deeds in his lifetime that will outlive him after he passes away. He said, so if that person has some property, then they endow some of that property, some of that wealth towards a waqf, towards something that will continue to benefit them. Or they plant a seed, they plant a plant, because the Prophet said, if the day of judgment comes and you have in your hand something to plant, then plant it before the day of judgment is established. Or he, uh, he, he uh, establishes a well or a river, some sort of water charity. And he exerts himself to make sure that if he has children, to produce amongst his children. People that will remember Allah after his death or her death because that will be ajr for them after they pass away. SubhanAllah, very powerful. So what they try to instill in their children is that they will be a people that remember Allah. Not necessarily remember them, remember Allah. Because if they remember Allah, then that will be their ajr after they pass away. أو أن يصنف كتابا من العلم فإن تصنيف العالم ولده المخلد. Oh, I love that so much. Subhanallah. He said, so let him author a book. Sheikh Yasser, you need to author a book. I've been waiting on you to author a book, Sheikh. I know my, you want to author a my book. My wife has been on my toes yeah. forever. Mashallah. <laughs> but this actually fits the Day of Judgment series, what uh -huh. he talks about. Subhanallah, this idea. He says, so let him author a book if he can. If he's a scholar, let him author a book. Because that book will be his immortal child. That book will be his child who does not die. And the book that we have in our hands is an example. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. <laughs> We're reading a book a thousand years later. Allah Subhanallah. So this is his immortal child that he talks about. And you, you read about a scholar that authored this many books, over a thousand books. He produced over a thousand children. Subhanallah opens a window and a door to his life. Yeah. We know so much about him just from his writings, subhanAllah. So subhanallah. definitely he's, he never died, really. SubhanAllah. And that's what the rest of this says. He says, وَأَنْ يَكُونَ عَامِلًا بِالْخَيْرِ عَالِمًا فِيهِ So let him be then one who works in good, who is knowledgeable of good. 
And this is how he ends this off. He says, He says, and so what he used to do will be imitated by other than him. And that is the person who never dies. That is the person who never dies. And there are people that have died and they are still walking alive amongst the people, meaning they have done nothing to benefit themselves after they pass away. So there are people that live physically amongst the people, but they are dead. And there are people that have passed away long ago, but they're still alive. SubhanAllah, here's the example. So Shaykh Yasser, Bismillah, a lot to reflect on. SubhanAllah, I don't know where to start. It was <laughs> really an amazing, amazing reading quote from Ibn Jawzi, Rahmatullahi ta'ala. And I believe that the, the, this chapter for us is that it comes in a, in a timely manner, really, because marking this night, SubhanAllah, next week uh, will be the last night that we attend in the month of Ramadan. So you literally have seven more nights, seven more nights to redeem yourself and to see what benefit you're going to be coming out of this month of Ramadan, inshallah ta'ala. Are you going to take an, uh, a lasting effect that will help you, inshallah, move until next year, until next Ramadan? Or are you going to use these seven days just to keep anticipating the moment when Eid is going to start, inshallah ta'ala? or maybe just waiting for the bazaar to start until next week, inshallah, what is it that you'll be anticipating in these seven days? I believe this is a very, very crucial moment to all of us right now to think about it. Next week, this time, we will be just uh, spending the last night of the month of Ramadan. And that itself, I know that, subhanAllah, just uh, three weeks ago, we were just like, oh, Ramadan started, oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to go through the month of Ramadan. And now here we go again. We look back and say, SubhanAllah, Ramadan is about to end. I didn't do enough yet. And so the, to preserve that time, as it said, you need to realize the, the meaning and the nobility of the time. And sometimes you have to see the value of it based on the subject matter. Uh, outside of the month of Ramadan, the hours and the moments and the, and the seconds are not as valuable. Unfortunately, to many people, it's not as valuable. So therefore, they keep telling themselves, I still have time, I still have time, I still have time. So they keep procrastinating. But in Ramadan, the hours and the moments and the breath even and the seconds are valuable. And subhanAllah, reflection on the value of things, or ulama, they say, look, whenever the, something is so valuable, people measure it with what? With the tiniest little portion of it. So whenever you want to measure something such as, for example, uh, steel, what kind of measurement do we use for that? We said ton. If you want to measure something less than that, like when you go and buy, for example, vegetables, you, you use pounds, right? If you're going to go and buy cheese, for instance, you buy with ounces, right? But then when you want to buy, when you're going to go and buy uh, gold, you go with grams. When you're going to go and buy diamonds, you go with what? Carrots, right? But then when it comes to good deeds, what is the measurement that Allah used in the Quran for it? A weight of an atom. And also the weight of a mustard seed. Like the tiniest part in the atom, which you can't even see, it can't even actually have a weight to it, really. Why? Because every portion of the good deed is valuable. And nothing's gonna be wasted. So every second of Ramadan is valuable. Because the subject matter here is that the envelope of that time is the month of Ramadan, a very precious time. So we talk about preserving the value of time, generally speaking. But when you think about 
this month of our Ramadan, not just even the month, subhanAllah, the last 10 nights of the month of Ramadan, not even the days. You gotta talk about the nights. Because in Ramadan, the last 10 nights are more valuable than the days. So the hours of the day, are, I don't wanna say less valuable, but at least it's not as valuable as the night. So right now, every second of the night has its own unique value. So when we talk about understanding the value of time and the nobility of time, look at when is this happening. Is it happening in Ramadan, outside of the month of Ramadan? Is it Arafah or sometime, somewhere else or uh, another time of the year? It is very precious. Just like sometimes doing good deeds is also be dependent on the value of the space. So when you go to Medina, for example, praying in the Masjid Nabi Sallallahu much more valuable than anywhere else. Mecca, also the same thing too. When you go to Mecca, the, the, the highest value in Masjid al-Haram in Mecca is what? Tawaf. It's not praying Tarawih or praying Sunnah. It's the Tawaf because that's a unique ibadah that you do over there. So something we need to really focus on is, as he says, So if you realize the nobility of time and the precious value of the time that you have at hand right now, you would not let one single second, it's a lahza, just like a, another blink of an eye, to go away without bringing you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shaykh, I think um, if we talk about niyatul mu'mini khayru min amalihi, no. again, the narration not being uh, a, a strong narration, but the idea of it that, you know, some, something that the Salaf used to say is that if the niyyah is there, the intention is there, sometimes something gets in the way. So let's say, for example, when Ramadan started, you had the niyyah to finish a certain amount of khatams or a certain amount of recitation of the Qur'an, and sometimes something happens. The, the actions are by the intention. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have already recorded the full recitation for you, so long as it was something that got in the way. And sometimes, subhanAllah, even when a person passes away, um, you know, I think about some of the people that passed away this year, Mm. And hearing from them that they, you know, if they had one more Ramadan, what they would have done. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the sincerity of that person. You know, Waraq ibn Nufa, some of the scholars give the example of Waraq ibn Nufa radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who the Prophet sallallahu said that I, I, I saw his two levels in paradise, Waraqa. We know the famous story of Waraq ibn Nufa when the Prophet sallallahu went to him, he said that I wish I could be with you when your qawm turns you away, when your people turn you away. And some of the scholars say, SubhanAllah, the entire seerah then that passed after, if he was sadiq, and, and, and truly that is the case, you know, clearly, if he was truthful and he said, Ya Rasulullah, I wish I could be with you when your qawm run you out, it may be that for waraqa was written the hijrah, for waraqa was written badr, for waraqa was written uhud, for waraqa was written the fatah, and all of those things because he had a sincere moment. And so the niyyah of the mu'min is, is a serious thing, and Allah knows when you have the serious intention for something versus mm -hmm. something that you're just saying, inshallah, you know, but you really have the serious intention for something. So I'm sure. curious if you want to. Sure. That also comes back to the hadith of Nabi Sallallahu when he spoke about uh, the, uh, the value of the intention versus the deed, like you suggested. So Rasulullah Sallallahu spoke about someone who has, uh, doesn't have the wealth and the money in comparison to someone else who has the wealth and the money. And that person who has no wealth, no money, he would think about it, and he says, if I had the money, if I had the money, I would have done such and such of all these good deeds. Rasulullah says, this person and that person are equal in reward. SubhanAllah, the one who has the money and he's exerting the effort and collecting it and spreading it, alhamdulillah, khairat, 
He gets the reward for giving the money away for the sake of Allah Azza wa The one who has no money but has the intention, if I had it and Allah believed they were sincere, Allah said they were sincere, they will get that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's rahmah and mercy is just unbelievable. Even though this individual, even though this individual has no money, he didn't even do it. He didn't even give that money actually in charity. Instead, he said, if I had it, I would have done such and such. Like with the intention. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looks into the heart. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees sincerity from this individual, that individual will get the reward for their good deeds, alhamdulillah, even though they haven't done Just the fact that you intend to do it. Just like also the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa that if a person, abd, servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they make the intention to do something good. And then subhanAllah, something comes in the way, they were unable to fulfill that. Uh, accident, they got sick, this, that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy and rahmah will write the reward for what they intended to do, even though they haven't done it. And also comes the hadith of Nabi sallallahu about someone who will start a specific ibadah and always work on their ibadah, alhamdulillah, throughout the day, they wake up at night, they fast during the day, make a dhikr and so on and so all the different ibadah, and sunnah and nafil. If a person travels, if a person falls ill and unable to do their regular acts of ibadah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's rahmah and his mercy will write for them the reward of all these deeds that they've been doing before they had the condition that prevented from doing it. Why? Because their intention, if they were not prevented from doing it, they were still going to do it. And Allah put the, the reward for them, alhamdulillah. That's one way, one way of using your time wisely, which means like he says over here, you should always, should always make the intention to do good, even though your body might not be in a position to do it, but just the intention to do good is enough, alhamdulillah, to be counted as using your, your time wisely. I want to introduce my friend, <laughs> Sheikh Abdul Nasser Jangda, pronounced Jangda, not Jangda, Jangda, from Fort Worth, right? Arlington. Arlington, sorry, from, Ar from, <laughs> from Arlington. Okay. Arlington. From Arlington. Alhamdulillah, we're very honored to have Sheikh Abdul Nasser join us. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Ameen, from the wonderful folks, of course, at Qalam. Allah bless him. I think he's on his fourth Qiyam program tonight. So I'm. We're not reading Quran right now, we're reading Slave of Khaf. So we're happy to have you, Shaykh. Uh, we were talking about the value of time. So we just yeah. read the Fasl, the, the chapter on the value of time. Shaykh, they asked me to move the microphone. Oh, okay. Put it on the jacket here? Okay. Like this? Okay. So uh, we've reached Waqat Kana Jama'atim in a Salaf Yubadirun and Lahadat. So the idea of the Salaf competing over their time and this idea of people. Uh, being guarded with their time to an extent, right? And the salaf being known. And I think it's important to mention here that most of the time when you're going to have these quotes about some of these people, they're going to be from the tabi'een. No. Mm. Because the tabi'een, being the second generation, felt a great sense of deficiency after the companions of the Prophet oh, They felt like they had to keep up. And so typically the narrations about people that used to pray a lot, <clears throat> that used to fast a lot, that, that really used to have these extraordinary feats in regards to good deeds, you find them from the tabi'een. And that's why Anas ibn Malik, عنه, he was speaking to them, and Thabit was a student of Anas, right? And he said that, no. you know, you, that, that no matter what you do, basically, paraphrasing, right, you're not going to reach the righteousness of the Sahaba of the Prophet. He said, because you do things that are 
so small to you. And we used to consider them at the time of the Prophet ﷺ to be from the kaba'ir, mm. from the mubiqat, from the major sins, the mm. destructive sins, right? So the idea that the fear and reverence of Allah that the companions had was greater than anyone that came after them. But the tabi'een, I mean, naturally, like if we're sitting around and we're the children of Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali, right? We're thinking, how do we catch up, right? What, what mm. thousands of raka'at and khatams do we have to do to keep up? So do you want to speak to this, uh, this concept for a bit, Shaykh? Yeah, uh, one of the things that is quite fascinating is the, in spirituality, there's this constant competition between quantity and quality. And one could basically ask the question that why could they not coexist, right? But at the same time, being human beings, having limited abilities, limited capacities, a lot of times people are going to end up sacrificing one for the other. And what you were just mentioning about the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, they are the people of quality. They are the people of quality. There's a narration in which Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah in Sahih Muslim, there's a narration in which he says, كَانَ يُعَظَّمْ فِينَا مَنْ قَرَأَ الْبَقْرَةَ وَآلَ عِمْرَانَ You know, this is Ramadan. There's like 8 million huffaz everywhere, right? We see young, young boys like leading qiyam prayers and this and that. He's saying that in the community of the companions, if somebody just knew Baqarah and Ali Imran, they were a big deal. So because of their circumstance and their situation, the Quran was still being revealed, right? Many of them never got to see Medina. Many of them were shaheed throughout the, you know, the battles of Medina, the Maghazi, the Ghazawat. Um, you know, they were literally, no figure of speech, no exaggeration, they were literally trying to remain alive. They were trying to find a scrap to eat once every three days so they wouldn't die. So they didn't a lot of times have the quantity per se, right? There's that narration as well. Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, I think it's a sahu mawqufan. Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he talks about how kathirun, qalilun qurra'ukum, kathirun fuqaha'ukum. There's very few people that can recite a lot to you today. Abdullah bin Mas'ud is saying in our community, there's very few people that can quote a ton of things to you. But there's a lot of people who understand what is right and what is wrong. And then he said that y'all, in y'all's generation, right, so it's a little bit of a get off my lawn moment, right? He says y'all's generation, right? He says, you know, he says there's kathirun qurra'ukum, qalilun fuqaha'ukum. He says that there's so many people amongst y'all, you know, whippersnappers, young people, there's so many people amongst y'all that can quote books, hadith, verses, surahs, day and night, left and right. But so few of you actually get it. So the Sahaba were the generation of quality. Now again, I don't want to create a dichotomy between the two, but there definitely is a prioritization. And so what Sheikh is talking about, what he's asking, what he's mentioning here is so profound that, you know, this younger generation comes along 
and, and they're an admirable generation. The process doesn't vouch for them, so we're not being critical here, but just talking about kind of the human process, right? There's a process to, re to coming to the conclusion. So they look at this quality, and they look at how God vouched for them, and they look at all the accolades that this generation had, right? And they're looking at it, and they're trying to, like he said, catch up, match it, but they're trying to match it with quantity. And it's the quality that is the missing ingredient. If you might, subhanAllah, I want to add to uh, uh, the previous statement that he said, mm. He says that people should uh, prioritize what they need to present in terms of their good deeds, in terms of speech and actions as well. Why so? Because our time is limited. Mm. We have 24 hours throughout the day, obviously. And we have a few hours during the night, especially in the month of Ramadan. What can I do? There's so much we could do over here. But I need to know what is my strength. Mm. What is my strength over it? The Sahaba, they had their strengths as well too. One example, if I ask people here to name uh, uh, name of the Sahaba, how many people can name a hundred? Probably mm. you have a few people raise their hands. And how many would say that they can uh, uh, quote maybe, or at least name 50 of them? Mm. They have maybe a little bit more. But mm. when you say 15, 10, most of the people raise their hand, right? So as, as we see, and most people are familiar with the most popular Sahaba because their deeds, their good deeds were narrated to us in their stories immensely. So we thought that all the generation of the Sahaba, mashallah, are at the same level. But what I realized is that the Sahaba also, they had their own strength in different areas. Some of them were very talented in the Quran, like Abdullah bin Mas'ud and also Ubay bin Ka'ab. Some of them were talented uh, with knowledge, like Mu'ad ibn Jabal. Some were talented with al-jihad uh, fi sabirillah, like Khalid Walid radiallahu anhu. Khalid radiallahu anhu. Khalid, Sayyidullah al-Maslood, the same yeah. that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put against you know, the, the people, uh, against the Prophet back then. Uh, when uh, uh, one day he led the Sahaba, he led his army, he led his commanders, as you put it this way. He led his commanders in Salah. He made a few mistakes in the recitation. And then when he, uh, when he finished, he looked at his... Uh, People, of course, it's an embarrassing moment for a commander of the Muslim army not to be able to recite the Quran properly. So he looked at him and he goes, لَقَدْ شَغَلَ الْجِهَادُ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ عَنْ كَثِيرٍ مِنْ كِتَابِ Being too busy, being too busy on the back of my horse fighting for the sake of Allah, took too much of my time. I didn't have time to really get into the Quran that much. He knew his strength. His strength wasn't really maybe being, being a hafal or being, you know, a tarawih imam or this or that. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his best deed to be something different. So part of using our time wisely tonight is getting to know what your strength is. Is the strength in the recitation of the Quran, standing up and to pray tarawih and tahajjud and adding more to your ibadah? Is it raising your hand and make dua? You know what? I don't do any of these things. But my strength is to serve those people who are here so they can enjoy the ibadah, inshallah ta'ala, while I guard them outside serve them, being an usher to them, bringing water and so on. So I remember Sheikh in Medina, when he used to be in Medina uh, during the Taraweeh time, subhanAllah. The front side of Masjid Nabi was the, hard, the hardest to, to, to find a spot in there. If you want to find a spot in Taraweeh, if you want to find a spot in Taraweeh, in the front uh, lines of Masjid Nabi you have to come before Asr. You have to come before Asr. And the best time is to stay after Fajr, basically. So, I remember, you know, no matter how much I tried to go to, I never got 
to the first line of Tarawih except a few times. I always get the the second second line, but those people in the first line, especially the uncles, they have nothing else to do. They retire, mashallah. <laughs> <laughs> so they stay there all day. Well, may Allah bless them, Ya But seriously, the thing that I was amazed at is how in the first few lines, because people stay there, they don't want to move from their spot, and other people will be walking around with a bottle of water and cup and serving everybody. And I was like, subhanAllah, this man is taking the reward for all these people. Because these guys in the front line, they're getting thirsty. They don't get to walk out because they're afraid if they move, they're going to lose their spot. And this individual is helping them out just to drink their water, subhanAllah. So his service, using his time, what everybody did in the Quran, making dua and dhikr, because that's his strength, help and serve other people, subhanAllah. It could be much more rewarding than what anything else you could do. And that's why, Shaykh, as-sihhatu wal-faragh. If those two blessings are combined in a person, like you are the richest person in the world, health and free time, you have health and free time, you better use that health and free time because those two, those two things are combined in many people and they don't use them to work for the right things. They waste them away and then they end up with a lot of regrets because once the sihha is gone, once the health is gone, then they have faragh, then they have free time. But they can't do in the free time what they used to be able to do with their health. And so to recognize the blessings is the first thing. And there's something very interesting here that I want to pose to both of you, uh, which is the next statement here. Uh, it's by far like one of the most like, you know, in your Sa face narrations that you have here. Savage. Yeah, it's savage. Get off your lawn. Apparently even Mas'ud spoke Texan. He said y'all. Like, <laughs> the people that are watching this internationally are so confused. Like, he said y'all. They're looking up y'all. Yeah, wow, now. Where is y'all? Yeah, where are these mustalahat coming from? But <laughs> this part here. It sounds like Ya Allah. Ya Allah. But um, okay, I'm not going to go down that road. Uh, let me stop here. So this idea, a man tells him, can we talk? And he says, stop the sun. Mm. Now, there are two things that get in the way with busy people. Mm. Okay, you want to be productive. You want to have dreams. You want to have goals. Two things that get in the way. Number one the fear of being deficient, right? So you're being pulled in multiple directions. So do I give my time to this or do I give my time to that? Number two, the fear of being rude. You know, if I want to, um, you know, give every conversation its right, then I won't have any time to read. I won't have any time to reflect. I won't have any time to do. And so how do you stop yourself or how do you find the balance with you know, giving everyone their right upon you, your family, your, your community, your friends, whatever it is, and yourself. And then at the same time, how do you guard your time without being rude? Sheikh, uh, yeah. This goes back to the same thing that uh, I feel, at least my understanding of it, let me put it that way, and I'm, I'm open to being corrected. My understanding of it is, is that, you know, you have to understand it from a principled point of view. That's why our religion is a religion of principles, a religion of usul, qawaid, right? So understanding, you know, niyatul mu'min khayru min amali, that qawl that we read earlier, that narration, it's so fascinating that the intent of the believer is better, is more powerful than the action of the believer. And what, there's many, way, many directions you can take that in, 
But one of the directions you can take that in is that you can, that's how you can make the mundane meaningful. That's how you can make the ritual spiritual. Right? You can take something very mundane, like what Sheikh just mentioned. You know? Um, and subhanAllah, I, you know, again, everybody deals with these kinds of things, and so I'm not, you know, uh, out of the ordinary in this regard, but one of the things, uh, one thing I kind of experienced about that not too long ago, recently, during Ramadan, was I had some time set aside to recite Quran, to read Quran. And it was something, I had that time set aside in my head from before, busy day doing all these different things and I have that time set aside and I'm really kind of looking forward to it at the end of a very, very hectic day. And my daughter needed math homework, uh, help with her math homework. And it's literally that situation. So what do I do? Right? So in one sense, based off of that conversation, we just... Oh, your daughter stopped the sun. Yeah, stopped the sun. <laughs> right? You know, figure it out on your own time. Right? This is my time. Right? This is me time, not you time. Right? Et cetera, et cetera. But at that, at that moment, I had to kind of have a little process in my own head. I had to do my own spiritual math in my head. Where I had to realize that my intent here. Right? So that's where the intention is very powerful. That's what I would say. And, you know, it just made me laugh because we kind of you know, not criticized, but qualified, a lot of these kinds of statements that we read, a lot of these kinds of references that we, find, that we hear, that there's a particular context to it. And you have to take it with the context. And that's why, we ultimately have the, the life of the Prophet to measure everything against. And, and in kind of preparation for the conversation tonight, I read this uh, statement of Imam Shafi'i, and it made me laugh. Um, it's it's nerdy. It's a nerdy thing, so it might not make you laugh, but it made me laugh. Uh, I think it'll make you know the the shiuch laugh as well. Qala Shafi'i radiyallahu anhu. Qala Shafi'i rahimahullahu taala. Sahib sahibtu Sufiya, falam astafid minhum siwa harfain. Ahadu ma qoluhum al waktu seifun. Failam taqtahu qatak. Wa dhakar al kalimat al ukhra. Wa nafsuka in shagaltaha bil haqi. Wa illa shagaltaka bil baatil. But you know, Imam Shafi'i rahimahullah ta'ala saying that, I, I won't translate the first part, but Imam Shafi'i rahimahullah ta'ala, a remarkable, knowledgeable, wise, you know, amazing person. But he's kind of noting this. He said, I sat with some people who sometimes kind of operate like in very harsh terms. And he said that, well, he said, I found it to be insightful, but he said, I, I read their state, I heard their statement that they said, time is a sword. Either you cut it or it's going to cut you. So you have to kind of put things into context where you understand who's talking, where are they coming from, what context are they speaking in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, while we need this motivation to utilize our time better, um, but obviously one extreme breeds the other. That's no. just what I think of. It's beautiful what you said, subhanAllah. I mean, interesting in regards to how to use your time wisely, obviously, it depends on the circumstances. There's no doubt about it. Everything has its own standard and circumstances. So some of the, the interesting stories I remember reading about in regards to how the ulama, they would benefit from their time, is multitasking. Hmm. Now, everybody's good at multitasking, really. You can't do two things maybe at the same time, three things at the same time. But some ulama, they did that. Hmm. So one of the quotations from... 
about speak of the, the bathroom moments basically. Al-Majdib bin Taymiyyah, the grandfather of the very famous Shaykh al-Islam bin Taymiyyah, it was mentioned about his, uh, his value of time to the extent whenever he goes to the bathroom, he brings one of his students or actually one of his kids or grandkids probably even to read for him while he's inside the bathroom. I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to visualize in my head. You walk by the bathroom, there's somebody exactly. reading outside. Uh, You're like, what's happening? Walking. Where are they at? Where's your son's at? <laughs> no, no, thank you. <laughs> but you know what? Honestly, looking at it, it's still better than today's culture yeah. of taking your phone with you and start reading yeah. while you're doing your business in the bathroom. <laughs> so he used to say, like, I don't have time for, to waste, so therefore, if I'm going to the bathroom, read for me, please. Sorry. Really? I mean, he's, he's doing whatever, you know, the answer to the call of nature, and his mind was still busy in seeking ilm and knowledge of Jama'ah. Mm. Who has the appetite for this mm. in that moment, really? The other example, I forgot who, who he was, one of the ulama from the Salaf, rahimahullah ta'ala. He says, الباطلون, mm. when uh, uh, the, the, the time wasters basically comes mm. to him, some of your friends sometimes they want to just have a cup of tea or tea or, or coffee or this and that, they're going to kill your time basically. Mm -hmm. He goes, when they come, he's so polite, he wouldn't say, return them away. Instead, he said, I use my time while they're speaking to me to start working on my folders and my papers and cut them and uh, start you know, fixing my pens and everything and so on. Just like, this doesn't require any mental effort for me. So just let me just do this while I chit-chat with them until they leave, and then I go to my serious business. The point is that, subhanAllah, you can find always a way to multitask in a meaningful way. People have different circumstances, obviously, but that shows how much they value time. Wallahu mm -hmm. alam. Absolutely. You know, subhanAllah, Shaykh, two, two things that came to my mind. Number one, we know, obviously, in our deen that um, your family, your service to your family is part of your ibadah. That's of actually one of the ways that healthy asceticism. Remember, Ibn Jozi takes serious issue. I mean, mm. he takes serious issue multiple times. He just takes shots at people that set an un, uh, uncomfortable and un-Islamic standard and threshold of spirituality, right? Like, talk about living in this other realm. No, no, no. He really hates that false spirituality. And so that's one of the beauties of our deen. And mm. the Prophet brought it in, mm. right, is that you have a ibadah in that family time. Like that moment you are teaching your daughter math mm. or playing with your children or uh, you know, spending time with your spouse. And of course, ahead of all of that, serving your parents, like that's mm. ibadah. And that sometimes it's even more valuable than any ibadah you're gonna get at your time of reading. However, you need the time for salah. You need the time for prayer. You know, one of my mashayikh, he said that some people need to read the hadith of Abu Darda, the famous hadith, where Salman went to Abu Darda and he admonished him because he, he was neglectful of his family, spending too much time in prayer and fasting and not spending any time with his family. And the Prophet confirmed the statement that Allah has a right upon you, your family has a right upon you, yourself has a right upon you. He said that not everyone is going to have the same imbalance. Mm -hmm. You can't use the hadith in the same way for every person. Some people are too imbalanced mm -hmm. with their family. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not, we're not, the Value Ranch Islamic Center is not going to tell you to spend less time with your family. Mm. It's going to tell you to spend more time with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. Like, look, this is a big part of the sunnah of the Prophet And some people have a natural tendency mm -hmm. to want to spend time with their family and to enjoy that. Alhamdulillah, this is beautiful. It's the most endearing elements of the Prophet life. Is the time he spent with his family. But guess what? You still need your time for salah. Yeah, but if you haven't seen the, the inside of a masjid in weeks, there's a problem. Right. 
So there, some people need the balance on the mm. other side, right? And so the idea of dividing division of time and then multitasking, subhanAllah, one of my favorite stories, Ibn al-Jawzi is the one who mentions it in Manaqib Ahmad. Of course, being a Hanbali, he wanted to uh, champion the life of Imam Ahmad rahimullah. So he mentions that famous uh, incident where Imam Ahmad rahimullah went to uh, you know, a, a town and he was thrown out of a masjid because he tried to sleep there at night and the man didn't recognize him. And he went to a baker's uh, shop mm -hmm. and the baker was doing tasbih and tahleel and, and dhikr the entire night while he was baking. And Imam Ahmed rahimullah asked him, why do you do this? Mm. Like, or, or how long have you been doing this? And he, he says, you know, I've been doing this my whole life. And he said that the fruit of it is that any dua I make, we're talking about bil amal salih just at Aisha, right? To use your good deeds. He said, the fruit of it is that I ask Allah for something and it happens. Chuhan. He said, there's one more dua though. I've been making dua. I've been asking Allah to let me meet Imam Ahmed. <laughs> Allah he's been baking all these years Allah in his shop. And that's the thing. He's like, I couldn't sit in the masjid and do dhikr. I couldn't be one of those ulama or tulab ilm. I had to earn with my hands. I had to be the baker. But while he was baking bread, he was planting trees in Jannah simultaneously. SubhanAllah. So he said, just doing dhikr all the time. And he said, Wallahi, He said, every time I made dua, Allah gave it to me. Except this one thing, I want to meet Imam Ahmed. Imam Ahmed looks at him like, SubhanAllah, here is Allah dragging Ahmed by his feet to your bakery mm. to, to answer your dua. Again, it's sometimes bringing ibadah into those times as well as being intentional about it. But Sheikh Yasir, I have a question for you. I, I don't want to belabor the point, but and I'm being very serious now. I think you do a very good, good job of guarding your time. Uh, sometimes... I don't have the same ability uh, to say uh, that you do, mashallah. Honestly, it's something I admire about you, the compartmentalizing and the telling people, look, right now we're going to go and we're going to have 30 minutes to do this. It's our time. How do you not be rude uh, with that? And how do, you, um, how do we also be more understanding of other people's time? You know, and, and like, okay, not take it that this person is, doesn't have time for me uh, as opposed to this person needs time for themselves right now or time with their love. It's honestly so hard really to do it. So what you're gonna have to do, you're gonna have to do it with a smile. Oh. <laughs> That's the secret to it. So when you tell somebody, I don't have time, I said, honestly, I don't have time for you. <laughs> <laughs> that smile helps you with everything. So. And in addition to that, smile is sooner, Jamal. But with all honesty, I believe also in addition to that, really, I think um, if you're conscious of your time, really, uh, you would know the way on how to guard it very well. I'm not saying that I'm guarding every moment of my time, obviously, but I know exactly when I need to deal with people, subhanAllah, because I think maybe the age factor has to do with it. When I was much, much, much younger, mashallah, <laughs> I honestly, I, I didn't really pay attention to my time wisely. I was so much into the service of the community and the people and helping out in this cause and this cause and so on. And as a result, my personal uh, life and my personal iman maybe suffered a little bit. Mm. In a way that I thought it would bring my iman up. But I think there was that imbalance that you were talking about. Alhamdulillah, maybe we started recalibrating. So therefore, I know, for example, there's a specific time, it's my family time. This time is for my, 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 uh, my work, my masjid, my, my community, my this and that and so on. So I try my best, alhamdulillah, to give each. For example, Ramadan here, I had a lot of requests from people to travel to go to visit their communities. Uh, even locally in the DFW area over here. I haven't visited any other masjid really. 
except for Kafal. Uh, uh, Why? Because they're my neighbors, and we need to support them as much as they support us, alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen. But because, alhamdulillah, I know the other masajid, mashallah, self-sufficient for their own yani, cause, alhamdulillah. So if I can help you online, I'd rather keep my time in Ramadan from my community. Sheikh, I want to go to the next statement here. Thabit al-Bunani, radiallahu ta'ala, his son says, I went to tell my father to say, La ilaha Allah, when he was dying. And he said, Ya I'm already, oh my son, leave me, I'm in the sixth portion of my wird. SubhanAllah, this is, I think it speaks to the importance of the wird, the regularity. See, one of the problems we have with our dhikr, with our remembrance and with our ibadah is that when we find ourselves busy with something, the first thing to suffer is our ibadah. The first thing we'll cut out. You know, I don't have time to go to the masjid. I don't have to. You still got time to go to the Mavs game. You still got time to do all your leisure stuff and play what you're playing. But somehow, the first thing that suffered was your ibadah. Mm. The first thing you threw out the window was your wird. And the wird, which literally is like the, the camel drinking from the water, awrada, right? Mm. To drink from. That's your spiritual well, the afkar that you're going to do every single day, no matter what. And how blessed when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants you death at that time. Someone that Shaykh Abdul Nasir I know knows as well, Shaykh, a beautiful person from New Orleans. Uh, we used to call him Uncle AJ, Uncle Abdul Jabbar, rahimahullah ta'ala. He passed away from COVID. May Allah grant him shahada. And he was the most regular person in my masjid. I mean, mashallah, tabarakallah, the most, I mean, does not miss a salah in the masjid at all. And I knew his wirt. As much, I, I think I knew his wirid, like I knew exactly what athkar he, like, he was going to recite after every salah because I used to see him after every salah reciting. And subhanAllah, Allah took his life in his wirid. You know, so like there are, this idea of you're going to likely leave this life in what you used to do regularly in life. And don't let the first thing you throw out of your routine be your religion, mm. be the religious routine. Is I think a very powerful concept. So I'd love to hear from both of you on this concept. Yeah, when looking at this, you know, to kind of switch gears and talk about now the actual valuing of one's time and particularly in one's relationship with Allah, Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, مَا دَنْدِمْتُ عَلَى شَيْءٍ نَدْمِي عَلَى يَوْمٍ غَرَبَتْ شَمْسُهُ وَنَقَسَ فِيهِ أَجْلِي وَلَمْ يَزِدْ فِيهِ عَمَلِي He said, the greatest regret that I have in any day is when the sun sets, that my time on this earth has decreased, but my deeds for the hereafter have not increased. Um, and, you know, it talked about how he came to, you know, meet his father and, you know, do talqeen, kind of uh, emphasizing iman to his father, shahada to his father in the last moments. And he said, I'm already into this. Um, Imam al-Dhahabi in Tadkiratul al-Hufad, he mentions about Hamad ibn Salima, who was one of the great scholars of Iraq, al-Basri. And his student, Abdurrahman ibn Mahdi, he actually, you know, says about him that he used to always remain busy, that he was either teaching hadith, or he was reading Quran, or he was doing tasbih, or he was praying. And then he says that Yunus al-Mu'addab, you know, one of his students, he actually says about him, Mata Hamad ibn Salma wa huwa salah. That when Hamad bin Salima died, he was praying. Because he had that regimen, he had that consistency, he had that regularity, he had that schedule, that even when his death came to him, his death came to him, fi halat salah, while he was praying. 
you want to add, subhanAllah, talk about the paradox of time. Mm. We talk about the value of time, the precious moments of the time, and so on. Uh, one of the things that we live in our society today is the paradox of time, really. As much of the time is so valuable to us, but it goes away uh, running errands, really. In the past, why there was so much barakah in the effort of these people? Like you talk about Imam <clears throat> Ibn Jawzi, rahimahullah, writing 16 pages on parchments every single day. Imam Nawawi, rahimahullah, when he passed away, he was still in his 40s, and he left a massive legacy of ilm and knowledge. Where did they cut the time to write all these things? And not even on typing it up, actually writing it down with their own hands, subhanAllah. Where they got that? Because they didn't have cars. They did not have cars, didn't have internet, didn't have phones. All these are becoming a distraction to us. Although they're supposed to do what? Help us save time. Like you wait until the last five minutes before the iqamah to come to the masjid, right? If you didn't have a car, you probably walk half an hour before salah time to come to the masjid. On the way, what do you do? You make dhikr. You make dua, tasbih, tafakkur. A lot of ibadah comes out of it. And not just that. If you're going to go visit somebody, and you know that's going to be a 15 minutes drive or 20 minutes drive or half an hour drive, you're now wasting your time preparing to leave and also as you leave and when you come back again. So about two hours are wasted just to get ready to leave. So there's a paradox of time. We think the car is supposed to reduce distance for us, right? Save us time. We think the phone also the same thing, supposed to save us time by making things done on the phone, alhamdulillah, rather than me going to the office to do things and so on and so on. Which is absolutely true if you use it wisely. But at the same time, it also comes with a price. That price that you, you, you lose a lot of time. I give one of the examples that happened personally with me when I was a student in Medina. Uh, at the time when we were students in Medina, long, long time ago, Shay, okay? When we were students in Medina, back then, back that was in the 1990s obviously, early 1990s, did not allow the students of Medina, they didn't allow us to live outside of the campus. So you have to live on campus, that's number one. Number two, they would not allow us to get driver license. You guys are privileged, mashallah. What iPhone did you have in the 1990s? <laughs> Gen Z question. <laughs> we didn't even have the dial-up phone, man. There's no phones in the, in the room, you have to go all the way to the phone office just to make a phone call, subhanAllah. It was an interesting uh, culture back then. And at the time, I was so bitter at the fact that they did not allow us to get a driver license. Although I, don't, I had actually a foreign driver license, but they would not allow you to transfer that to local one. Until one day, because we had to go, if we want to go to the Masjid Nabi Wasallam, you have to, to take the, 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 the school bus, which is the university buses basically. And they leave after Asr. And they come back after Isha. So if you go, you're not coming back until after Isha. And you have to leave early so you can catch the bus. And if you want to go, go early, you have to go and, and, and maybe find someone on the way out. They will take you to the Masjid Nabi So you go there to pray Asr and you can't come back until after Isha. That's how our program would be during the evening, subhanAllah. So one of the brothers, was, uh, uh, he was local. And he said, look, I'm going to be traveling for a month. Why don't you use my car? So Allah forgive us, no driver license. I took the car, took the car, alhamdulillah. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Jazakallah So I used the car for a month. It was the worst summer I spent in Medina. Hmm. Literally. Because the deception of time, really. Instead of me going from Asr to be there until after Isha, I'm like, I'll catch Maghrib inshallah on time. So I'm Asr time doing what? Chilling in my room. 
thinking that I'm doing something useful, maybe just reading here and there, nothing really serious to prepare, because I know my time to be serious in knowledge is not yet there. It's when I go to the masjid. So I, I wasted some time doing that, unfortunately. And when you go to the masjid Nabi to pray Maghrib, I used to spend between Maghrib and Isha attending the halaqat of the ulama there. But then, then I have a car waiting for me outside, and I was like, ah, oh, let me run this, run this errand real quick and come back before Isha Adan, inshallah ta'ala. And I go out, I don't come back until Isha. So I lost the halaqah as well too. So the moment this brother came back from his trip, Jazallah khair, I said, here's your car, never ever do this again. <laughs> and wallahi, I appreciate the fact that they did not allow us to have cars, you know, back then, because otherwise we would never use that time so efficiently like this. I'm not saying, of course, to go back to this era in our time here. I'm not asking you to quit the, uh, cancer and rip up your, your driver license and uh, use Uber and, and Lyft and all that. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that there's a, the paradox of time, uh, it can be an epidemic. Each and every one of us here dealing with their own problem with the paradox of time. You think you're trying to save time on this, but if you look deep in what you're doing, you're really wasting your time. And sometimes you're fooling yourself. Oh, let me do this, inshallah, that this is virtuous, this is righteous. But in reality, you're just really spending your time not in what is priority to you. So that's very important to know how you use your time wisely, inshallah. I think, subhanAllah, the idea of ghurur, deception, delusion, all of these, you know, age jokes aside, I remember, like, you know, we're probably the last generation that would remember <laughs> a time before cell phones and before internet and you know AOL 1.0 and Earthlink and dial-up internet coming out in the mid 90s and yeah. trying to just figure out like connectivity and subhanallah we've been sold this idea over the last couple of decades that this is a time-saving mechanism this tool this app this device this is going to make you more efficient more efficient more efficient and all it's made us is more distracted less efficient and Dependent. busy, dependence, like not able to think for ourselves and get a moment alone. And you think about ghurur, this concept of delusion and deception. And subhanAllah, what do people crave? To go out into the mountains and not have any devices on them. And it's like the greatest thing in the world to them. Like what people did that by necessity and people still do that, you know, just to have that peace of mind and not hear all of the noise and to be away from it. And honestly, I think it's one of the greatest advices that's been given to me that I would impart towards everyone as well, inshallah, and I'm sure everyone would, would appreciate this for a moment. If you don't take breaks regularly from your technology, regularly, then you're never going to get any clarity. Forget about productivity, clarity. Productivity comes from a sense of clarity because you know where the mountaintop is, and, and all of this is deeply connected, every halaqah to the other, right? You know where the mountaintop is. If you don't take regular breaks, and yes, you know what? Take a two-day uh, break from your phone. You're going to turn your phone on after two days and say, oh, just, you know, beep, 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 and you're going to have some people that have uh, decided that your friendship is no longer worth it after two hours of you not answering a text message, like, I can't believe you, and I, and I was there for you in your hard times, you didn't answer me, and don't ever call me. And I was like, all this happened over two days, you know, like, Apparently, I'm a horrible person, but you know, you just respond to them and say, shumps, y'all, you know, <laughs> stop, <laughs> in Arabic, right? Stop, hold the sun, and they'll, they'll say what, and then you can reestablish your friendship, right? But you know, this idea that subhanAllah, take breaks, regular breaks from your technology, from the, the hustle bustle, and, and recalibrate, clarify, and get productivity. Uh, I want to just get to the last part of the Sheikh, and we can reflect, inshallah, then we can take some questions from the audience, because I think it's really. Uh, beautiful and powerful 
And I have some thoughts on it. Okay, this last statement of his. That there are people that don't die. And that is because, as he said, they have al-walad al-mukhallad. They have the immortal child being the book that they wrote or the well that they planted or, or the well that they uh, built or the plants, whatever it may be, right? But I think that, you know, connecting to something you spoke about yesterday, this idea of how amazing everyone's, uh, everyone else's life looks, it's not just that everyone seems to be better off in terms of having nicer houses and happier lives and stuff like that, but people also seem to be a lot more accomplished maybe than we are, right? And you can also get that type of jealousy and that type of like, oh, well, you know, this person's legacy is here and what's my legacy? And I think we often conflate legacy with being remembered. Mm. And the idea here, which is very clear, is that there are some people whose names will not be mentioned. True. But they are still alive because they're alive with Allah, because that sahifa, that, that, that scroll that the ulama are talking about here is still running. The pens might be invisible to everybody else, but the deeds are still running because they did something meaningful. They left behind someone who remembered Allah, that taught someone that remembered Allah, or they taught someone who remembered Allah, or they contributed to something, or they you know, volunteered somewhere. Just because you weren't getting the credit amongst the people doesn't mean you weren't productive. And I know a lot of people can be very demoralized by that thought like, you know, am I going to be remembered? Am I going to be forgotten? Who cares? How are you going to be resurrected? Who's, uh, what's, what are the pens of deeds that are going to keep writing for you after you leave this world? So I'd love to hear from both of you, inshallah, and then we can take some questions maybe from the audience, inshallah, in this regard. Uh, remind me actually with the, the story I mentioned one time in one of the khatiras. Um, when Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu he was always anticipating you know, the news from, uh, from Persia. When uh, the Muslim armies were, were in the expansion phase over there, and Sa'd ibn Waqqas was the commander there, so Umar ibn Khattab was so concerned being the Khalifa in Medina, he wanted to know the news, what's going on there. And there was a, a, a time in that very decisive battle of Al-Qadisiyah that led to the conquest of Persia, that he needed to have the news to come so, so quickly to him. So he had a, a human chain from Medina all the way, all the way to Persia, because he wanted to make sure the news comes to him in one day. And then after three days of keep telling him, nothing happened here, the battle's still going on, the battle's still going on, so he would always be outside waiting for the rider to come to tell him what happens. And one of those times, uh, the rider came so fast. And as he was coming so fast, Omar noticed him. He, he started running after this, this man. And he's calling him, wait for me, please. What, what happened? What happened? He goes, I, I, sorry, I cannot wait. I have to tell Amir al-Mu'mineen. I have to tell Amir al-Mu'mineen. And Amir al-Mu'mineen is running after him. <laughs> and Omar, he could have told him, well, that's me. Just wait, man. But his humbleness and humility would not actually make him recognize that. He said, who cares about the titles? But just please tell me what happened there. He goes, I can't, I'm sorry, I, have to, I cannot wait. I have to tell him you're By the time they got into Medina, and now Omar is catching his breath behind this guy. And then the people start saying, salam to Omar. Salam alaykum, you Salam alaykum, you're And the guy's looking behind him, he goes, you are Amir al-Mu'mineen? Rahimakallah, if you'd have told me, please, you could have told me so I could wait for you. He goes, la ala, you get to write, just tell me what happened. So eventually he took him home, and one of the moral of the story, he started telling him, uh, Alhamdulillah, Allah gave us victory, this and then Umar was very excited, was very happy. But what Umar was asking about, he goes, whom did we lose? Whom did we lose in the battlefield? Tell me the names. So he started telling him, we lost Fulan and Fulan and Fulan, given names that Umar recognized. 
from Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, Ansar and Muhajireen, and other people that he knew about as well. And then he gave him the name that he could remember. Then this man, he tells Amir al-Mu'mini, he goes, وَقَوْمٌ وَأَقْوَامٌ آخَرُونَ لَا يَعْلَمُهُ أَمِيرُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ And we lost a lot of other people. Amir al-Mu'mini doesn't know them. Umar cried. He said, Subhanahu he says, وَمَا ضَرُّهُمْ أَلَّا يَعْلَمُهُ أَمِيرُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذَا عَلِمَهُمْ رَبُّ الْعَالَمِينَ What matters if Allah, if, if, what matters to them if a mu'minin doesn't know about them, when the Lord of Amir al-Mu'minin already knows who they are. So, yeah, I mean, these people that we don't even know who they are by name, if it wasn't for them after the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we wouldn't be where we are here today. That's a legacy that they're carrying the reward for it, no matter what. Wallahu alam. Sheikh Abdul Nasr, any last words, inshallah? One of the things um, that I see sometimes, you know, that you were talking before about the paradox of time. And uh, we use this word a couple of times in this session, productivity. There's also the the dilemma or the trap of productivity. So somebody is spending so much time reading blogs about productivity. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, brother, you've written, you've, you know, you're, you're following like 37, 37 like Twitter accounts and watching, you know, keeping up with all these guys on Instagram and watching all these YouTube videos and reading all these blogs on productivity. I'm pretty sure if you haven't figured it out yet, you're probably not going to, <laughs> right? So now you're spending all your time reading or listening or just with the buzzword productivity, time management, that that's actually become your poison now. That's become the thing that's draining your time. Sure. And that's when we get back to something small you know, just baby steps. Just do something good, something of value, something of significance. Don't under لا تحقرن من المعروف شيئا. That's why the Prophet said, "فتقو النار ولو بشقي تمرة." Half a date, you can save your soul from the fire of hell. Right? It has so much value. Right? دخل الجنة وما سجد لله سجدة. That Sahabi who became Muslim and turned around and asked the Prophet "Can I just go into battle?" خيبر the Prophet said, sure. And then they found him shaheed. He became Muslim after the sun had risen, died in the battlefield before Dhuhr came in. So a lot of times I think that there is the trap of this kind of productivity and time management um, where sometimes we're lacking just that. And that's why the Quran puts so much emphasis, right? The ultimate mention of time in the Quran is wal-asr. In al-insana lafi khusr. But people are losing. So how do you stop losing? Just do something good. Break the cycle. You got to stop that free fall that I was talking about before. And you just got to catch yourself somewhere. Just do something good. I'm just going to get up off my couch. I'm going to stop reading this blog about productivity. And I'm just going to cross the street and just go pray in the masjid. I'm just going to do that. Now what that means and how that factors into some master plan, we'll figure it out later. But who said there's got to be a master plan? No. Right? Sometimes you just got to do good. And uh, that's what um, I was reading um, a qawl of one of the salaf, um, where he said something of that sort, where he said, you know, um, day and night uh, are from the signs of Allah. Yeah, Umar bin Abdul Aziz, rahimahullah. He said, in the layla wa nahari, 
يَعْمَلَانِ فِيكَ فَعْمَلْ فِيهِمَا They're chipping away at you, day and night are chipping away at you, so you chip away at them. Just do something. Because something's always better than nothing. Wallahu ta'ala. So on that note, of uh, you can watch the Habits to Win uh, series <laughs> and read the, the notepad that we have. Uh, oh, mashallah, beautiful. Since Sheikh hates blogs, but no, seriously. Jazakallah khair, Sheikh Abdul Nasser, for joining us. Alhamdulillah, bless you in the work at Qalam. I think we'll take a few a few questions, inshallah, ta'ala, then we'll, we'll call tonight, inshallah. So, Sheikh, brothers first, sisters first, you, you run the Q&A. Come on, man, put me on the spot now. Because you, you, you can tell people I think the first time that's Islam alaykum, Sheikh. Oh, sorry. Where's the microphone? Where is it? It's on your right. Oh, I got you. So the question is, uh, as you mentioned, uh, sometimes that intentions are greater than actions. So but sometimes what happens is uh, we get so busy at work or the personal work, and uh, you know there's a salah at 145 uh, in the masjid, but you get pulled into meetings, and you end up uh, missing the worship of praying 27 times. Right? That's one, that's one of the things that happened. And there are so many other things in our life that uh, you plan to go to Umrah for some of the year, this year and some things happen and then you don't end up going to Umrah. Or you plan so many things but you have good intentions but it won't happen. So here does it qualify intention is greater than action? Then how do we look into this scenario? Uh, if I might remind you what we mentioned last night actually, we said about sometimes it's, uh, uh, the journey is much more valuable than a destination really. Mm. Not going to Umrah and keep aspiring to go to Umrah and not achieving what you wanted to achieve and always put the effort to trying to do that will get you much more reward than reaching your destination. There were sometimes, let me put basically my personal situation. SubhanAllah, I haven't gone for Umrah for a very long time. Or in Bosnia, for example. I lived there for four years. And for the next 20 years, I was unable to visit Bosnia. And I was really looking forward. I always wanted to go there because I haven't seen it for a very long time, subhanAllah. But then last summer, I got the privilege and the, alhamdulillah to go there after 20 years. And after I went there, I spent there for a week and I met many of my old students and mashallah who became doctors and teachers and this. And it was a very, very beautiful, uh, let me put it way, as I would say, emotional, emotional uh, closure. So this was an emotional closure moment for me. Now if you ask me, do I need to go back there again? I don't have the same urgency to go as I used to be before. So for me, just like SubhanAllah, why did I have to go there? If I didn't go last year, I would still be having the same feeling about doing it. So for Umrah, the same thing too. As long as the intention is there, inshallah ta'ala, and you really make the right effort to get there, but then things come in the way you weren't able to do it, your reward is still preserved, inshallah ta'ala. May Allah bless you, Rabbi, I bless your time. Now. Sister's question as well. Sister's side. Assalamualaikum. Assalamualaikum. Um, so I had a question about uh, how right now is like the last 10 days of Ramadan and I'm, so I'm in college and like I'm scared to miss out on Laylatul Qadr because I'm in like in finals week, there's so much going on, but I'm trying my best how would I deal with that? Because I feel like I should do so much ibadah when it comes to the odd nights. And it's a little bit hard to manage with school, having finals, and so much stuff going on. So I think 
First of all, may Los Panza reward you for intention. That's actually the first part of this chapter, right? Is that the knee of the believer should always be in khayr, uh, not broken at all. The intention should always be to do as much good as possible. And that if I had the time, I would do this. If I had this, I would do that. And Allah knows your sincere intentions. And the Prophet said that when a person is stopped from doing something due to an illness or travel, and they would have done it had they not been in those circumstances, then Allah writes down the reward for them full. And many of the ulama wrote on that hadith that this includes all of the temporary circumstances that stop a person from doing what they typically would have done. So first and foremost, that husn al-dhan in Allah, that good expectation of Allah, have the intention. The second thing is to be intentional then about the time that you're dividing. Uh, that means prioritizing the odd nights over the even. You know, so we will have multiple narrations. The Prophet of course, took all of these 10 nights very seriously. But then you find numerous narrations where if the Prophet was speaking to someone who could not give all of the 10 nights, then he said, prioritize the odd. And then you have the one where the Prophet you know, said, prioritize the 27th uh, to the old man, which many of those who held the opinion of, of the 27th night uh, took that narration. But the idea is that the Prophet was helping someone prioritize when they couldn't do all of them, right? The most likely nights, uh, the most likely nights are the odd nights, and then some of the most likely nights uh, being the last three and then maybe the 27th, whatever it may be, but all the nights are precious, right? If you can observe them, but if you can't, then you start prioritizing. And afdal fal afdal. The priorities are there. Now, after that, you go to the breaking up of the night. If you can spend the entire night, alhamdulillah and dhikr, good. If you can't, then catch Isha and Fajr and catch Taraweeh. And if you can catch a halakha, if you can allocate 30 minutes for dua, 30 minutes for dhikr, alhamdulillah. Be intentional. I'm going to sleep for three hours to get my, my rejuvenation right now. I'm going to put my alarm. I'm going to do everything I can to have a good sleep habit. I'm not going to waste any time between the ibadah and the sleep that I need to have so that I can still be functional enough tomorrow. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what is in your heart and what is in your intention. Allah azza rewards in ways that we cannot reward. Allah. Assalamu Sheikhs. Thank you as always. And Sheikh Nasir, thank you for joining us today. Um, you know, one of the goals, I think, of mu'mins uh, or dreams would be to get jannatul for those. Uh, and today we talked about the Sahabi, the Ansar, the Hajarin, these the greatest generation who have done so many great deeds. Um, Sheikh Dasri, you talked a little bit about strengths. Is there an Islamic strength finder? Or is there perhaps certain deeds that are of such high quality or quantity that can bring us closer to that goal or dream of reaching Jericho for those when we know about the great stories of this greatest generation. Thank you. Sheikh Abdel Nasser. Any Muslim strength finder, basically. Yeah. The Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it's a hadith Qudsi where Allah, the Prophet says that Allah has said that my servant does not come closer to me by means of anything more than what I obligated upon my servant. So we do have, and then many of the narrations of the Prophet I'm talking about Islam is founded upon five pillars, right? So a lot of it is through the process of that, through the process of practice, right? Kind of exploring what the strength of the person is by once again doing rather than procrastinating, right? This paralysis by analysis is a huge issue. Right, so part of it is is to just kind of jump in, start doing. So first of all, you do your fara'id, why? Because you have to. Whether it's a strength or a weakness, regardless, we gotta do what we gotta do. It's an obligation, it is what it is. 
So you commit to doing your obligations and from there, now you start to explore you know, other things. And through that practice, through that exploration, you ultimately will start to now find where you feel you know, is, is a place of strength for you, where your competence is, right? Um, where your aptitude is, where your acumen is. You'll start to kind of identify that. But the beauty of doing it this way is that along the way, you will have picked up so much benefit, right? Even if that didn't end up becoming, quote unquote, the thing that became, you know, your focus, you still picked up a lot of benefit along the way, right? And so that would just, that, that's how I would approach it. I have a question come in writing. I want to ask you, Sheikh Omar, to answer this if you don't mind. So for those of us who are paid hourly, I feel it's a sin to waste time, which is paid time, to check WhatsApp and reply and etc. So I come home feeling low, that I cheated. However, it's not easy, almost like an addiction. Even I tried to use the work time, me time option, but this could do that so quickly. How can we deal with this? What's your, what's your take on that? Like, I mean, at some point, like not making things harder on yourself. No, so uh, look, there is there is a technical answer to this question, but the Quran teaches us some wisdom. Don't ask about things that if you are given the answer, then it'll put you in a in a pickle. Right? Be careful, be very careful. Now, that's not to say we don't hide knowledge, but. At the same time, I, you know, uh, I'll ask Sheikh, I'm sorry for interrupting, mm -hmm. but I'll ask him to elaborate, but like I myself am just even afraid to kind of answer that kind of a question because by the book, the technicality of that question is, is, is it's tough. Wallahu <laughs> Well, <laughs> on that note, <laughs> I think is the, the only thing that I can add to, to this, right? Fear Allah as much as you can. Uh, you know, get as, as much as you can, and, as, and I think it's a good reminder, like Sheikh said. So we, we try our best to live up to it. Um, but Kufit, I think what Sheikh Abdel Nasser said is enough, but you'd like to add to it, Sheikh Yasser? I, I want to say the time is really amana. That's number mm -hmm. one. However, it's all about productivity and doing what you've been asked to do in terms of, you know, accomplishment. Let's say if they want to keep it for an hour, just to answer one phone call, what am I going to do with the rest of my time? So if your job is to answer calls, then answer calls when they come. When the calls don't come, enjoy your WhatsApp. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's ever enjoyed WhatsApp, Sheikh. <laughs> WhatsApp is a headache. <laughs> I, know, I know, but the question asked about WhatsApp. <laughs> but I would say, seriously, use your time wisely. Still though, again, it's an amana, the time is amana. So if you've been asked to, and tasked to do a certain job that requires five hours, for example, you finish it in two hours. Am I gonna tell them, hey, I'm done in two hours. What about the three hours? Are they gonna pay me for the three hours? No, use the three hours to enjoy your time, inshallah ta'ala, because you accomplish this, alhamdulillah, in a shorter time. Unless you're gonna maybe get paid for those extra time somewhere else, then you go to the job somewhere else. The idea is that your time is yours here, and if you're gonna be paid for it to do a certain job, do that job. And if in between there's that free time, that Google time for you, use it wisely, inshallah ta'ala. Let's take one more question from the sister side. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you so much for your efforts and your time and helping us this Ramadan. I guess my question.
question is um, practically, you know, every moment that we're given, every single time we have, we have a choice to make as to how we use that time. Um, for example, the same action of like going to the masjid or spending time with our family, it could be beneficial to us. It could bring us closer to Allah, or it could be the opposite as we have explored. Um, so I guess in the practical sense, how do we judge or make the decision as to how we utilize the time that we're given? Because we have to make that choice. So what criteria can we use? I'm sure it's very individualistic, but I think that would be really helpful. I'd actually, I, I really appreciate this question um, because it's something that I think we have to first and foremost categorize the choices. There is good and bad where it's clear, good over bad, right? You're going to be in this place of ta'a versus this place of ma'asiyah, this place of obedience, this place of disobedience. Then you have uh, bad and neutral, where neutral is better than bad, okay? So this is not really a sinful time, whereas this is sinful. So let me choose what's not sinful. And then you can even make the intention for that which is not sinful, and that becomes an act of worship in and of itself, right? So taking that, that passive time and turning it into worship time by inserting and infusing in it these, these different types of things. Then you have good and good, okay? And this is where the Sahaba were very different people. Sheikh Yasser just spoke about, which is very important. Abdullah Mas'ud, one of my favorite examples in this regard, um, who is just synonymous with the Qur'an. Uh, the first person to read the Qur'an publicly loved the Qur'an, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loved him for his love of the Qur'an. And the Prophet said, if you want to hear the Qur'an fresh, you want to hear it fresh like it was just revealed, listen to Ibn Mas'ud who read the Qur'an. And some people went up to him and they blamed him. They said, you don't fast. Not Ramadan, he fasts Ramadan. But like amongst these companions and tabi'een where you have people that are trying to achieve Bab al-Rayyan, the gate of fasting of a Jannah, Ibn Mas'ud anhu doesn't seem to be a person who fasts much of the voluntary fast. And he said, He said, look, I'm a person who's dedicated to the Qur'an and the nature of fasting, the ibadah of it, it gets in the way of the type of service to the Qur'an that I'm doing. And reading the Qur'an is more beloved to me than fasting. That's not blasphemous. Like, I prefer this act to that act. And so, situate the good, the times, with the quantities and with the balance and the differences that you feel like can grow your spirituality and make you a more wholesome person. Not necessarily where you feel the best, but where you're becoming better, where you're, you're getting a more comprehensive connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and growing in your journey towards Allah. Wallahu Jazakallah khairan. Once again, Shaykh Abdul Nasser, Jazakallah khairan. We enjoyed having you. Thank you very much. And uh, please make dua for our brothers and sisters at Qalam. Uh, of course, they just opened their new campus, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Very excited about it, and it's, it's something that we're all proud of as a Dallas community, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, to have such a beautiful institution uh, that's been started here. So may Allah put barakah in their new facility. Amen. And Jazakallah khair, Shaykh Yasser. Uh, always, always, always a pleasure uh, to be with you. And Barakallah fikum, everyone. Inshallah ta'ala, we'll start our qiyam at 3 a.m. And for now, Sheikh Yasser would be the one to tell you with a smile on his face to leave everybody alone until 3 o'clock. So Sheikh Yasser, do you want to say it this time? Leave me alone, please. <laughs> 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 <laughs>